we are in, we are like halfway through now. Uh, this is week five of eight weeks in a series called Walking with Jesus, Lessons from the Holy Land. And so what does walking with Jesus mean? Uh, throughout the Bible, we see this, me- this metaphor really of Jesus uh, walking, you know, and, and our faith being like walking with Jesus. In 1 John chapter 2, it says, whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. And so there's this, this imagery, right, of this is our Christian faith is we're walking like Jesus walked. 1 Peter 2 says, for God called you to do good, even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you. He is your example, and you must follow in his what? Steps. You must follow in his steps. And then Galatians 5, and this whole list of the fruit of the Spirit, it says, uh, in Galatians 5, it says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. And so there's this imagery now of if we're going to follow Jesus, it means that the way we walk, the way we conduct ourselves, the way we live should be modeled after the way that Jesus lived. We're imitating Jesus. We're learning from him. We're we're walking with him. The Holy Spirit indwells us and allows us to live as Jesus lived. And so uh, this whole series is about that discipleship process, learning to walk through our life the way that Jesus taught, learning to imitate how he loved and how he shared hope with others, learning how he confronted sin and shared truth, and, and looking at Jesus to learn from. This whole series is based on our recent travels, Jennifer and I, to to Israel, to the Holy Land. And uh, we wanted to come back and share uh, some of what we learned. There were just so many moments when we were there that were just, uh, they were almost like you were overtaken with emotion. And there were just times that you were just standing there and thinking, you know, Jesus was here. Not just here in this country, but here. Right, there's some of the places that are like, well, it could have been here, it could have been a half a mile down the road, or it could have been over here, it could have, there may be this place or this place. But then there are other places in Israel, you're like, no, this is where it happened. And so you're there and you're learning and you're experiencing, and you're just, it just hits you, right? This is where Jesus actually walked. The southern steps of the temple, these are the exact steps that Jesus would walk up to go into the temple. And you're like, that's where Jesus walked, and I'm here in the same place. And there were times that it was, again, that it was this overwhelming experience, right? When we were in other places like the synagogue at Capernaum or the Mount of Olives or the Garden of Gethsemane, just being there was a, a, an amazing experience. And so today we want to kind of jump in and talk about prayer and talk about how Jesus was, his life was just centered around prayer. And so each week of this series, I've been showing some videos, kind of showing some of the sites and places before we jump in and talk. And then I've got another video at the end uh, from actually the Garden of Gethsemane. But uh, let's show this first video. Just to... There is something special about being in the Holy Land. You feel connected not only to the places of the Bible, But you feel connected to God because you are in the very same places that Jesus lived and walked. There were so many times when we were there that we just stopped to soak it all in, to read the Bible, to pray. It's a hard feeling to describe. But it's easy to pray when you're on a trip like this. Every day you are just soaking in the sights and the places of the Bible. 
But what about prayer in our everyday life? We know we should pray, but do we make it a priority? One of the places that really makes you reflect about prayer is found in Jerusalem. Jerusalem was an important city for all of the Israelites because they traveled there for feasts multiple times each year. From Galilee, it was over a two-week journey, an 80-mile journey. And Jerusalem was a walled city surrounded by the Kidron Valley and the Hinnom Valley. And there was a mountain overlooking the city, the Mount of Olives. It is here where we read in Luke 19 that Jesus entered into Jerusalem and wept over the city because he knew what was going to happen to it. It is also here where Jesus often traveled through on his way to visit his friends Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, who lived on the other side of the mountain in Bethany. It is here where Jesus often came to pray. Today, the Mount of Olives is home to multiple churches, but it's a reminder to us about the importance of prayer, about seeking God's will, about listening to our Heavenly Father as He speaks truth, hope, and love into our lives. Today, let's learn about prayer. So that's the quick introduction. That's, that kind of gets you kind of understanding a little bit about where we're going today. And I love looking at those sites and places. And, and now once you're there, you look at that and you're like, I, I remember that. I remember where we were and I remember what happened there. And, and so today we want to jump in and talk about prayer. And I'm just going to jump right into the message. Uh, we've got a lot of ground to cover in a short time. A uh, long ways to go in a short time to get there. If you grew up in the 80s, you know what I'm talking about, right? So, uh, first point today, that was funny, y'all. Come on. Y'all got to wake up. You got to help me out a little bit this morning. Okay, the first point this morning, Jesus teaches a rhythm of life centered around time alone in prayer. Jesus centered, you know, this rhythm of life centered around time alone in prayer. There's this pattern we see with Jesus where no matter how busy he was, he was never so busy that he didn't have time to spend with his father. We see him pulling away from the crowds time after time to do that. In the gospel accounts of Jesus' life, we get these glimpses of this just day-to-day life where he gets away. Mark 1, 35 is one of those places. It says, before daybreak the next morning, Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place to pray. Later, Simon and the others went out to find him. And when they found him, they said, everyone's looking for you. I mean, everybody wanted to be with Jesus and and talk with him. And and Jesus slips away, gets away from the crowd. Even his own disciples couldn't find him for a while just so he could pray, right? And and, and it said this word here, this this isolated place, Uh, some translations say this solitary place. There's a word there that uh, this is a translation of the Greek word eremos, And it means deserted. It means abandoned. It conveys this image of a wilderness place, an area that's off the beaten path, an area that you wouldn't go to unless you were being intentional to go there. That is the type of a Ramos place that Jesus went to. And so this word, it's used about 50 times in the New Testament, often to describe places where God sent people in order to have an encounter with him. And so these were places where God could speak into their life. This is places where God connected. God and people encountered God in these 
isolated, solitary places. And so we see so many examples throughout Scripture of Jesus getting away. There's even an early Christian tradition that Jesus had a special place there on the Sea of Galilee that he constantly went to to pray. And so we see all throughout Scripture, and I'll just give you a few examples. You see in Scripture, Mark chapter 6, it says, After telling everyone goodbye, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. In Luke chapter 6, he was uh, right before he was about to choose the 12, uh, the 12 disciples. It says, one day soon afterward, Jesus went up on a mountain to pray, and he prayed to God all night. You heard Larry share about the time he was praying at night, right, um, before he walked on water. Uh, there's other places. In, in Luke chapter 9, he takes his disciples to Caesarea Philippi. And we showed a video of that earlier in this series, the big rock, the place where he asked Peter, who do you say that I am? And it says in that passage, one day Jesus left the crowds to pray alone and only his disciples were with him. And he asked, who do people say that I am? Just a few verses later, he withdraws with three of the disciples to a nearby mountain. And the, the closest mountain to Caesarea Philippi there is Mount Hermon, which is the tallest mountain in Israel at about 9,000 feet elevation. So it's a pretty serious mountain, right? And it's snow-capped most of the year. And, the, and Jesus withdrew to a mountaintop to pray. We think, we don't know for sure, but it seems apparent that he was just at Caesarea Philippi. Now he's on a mountain. It would probably be Mount Hermon. And in and, and Luke chapter 9, it says here in verse 28, about eight days later, Jesus took Peter, John, and James up on a mountain to pray. Luke chapter 11, uh, once Jesus was in a certain place praying, and as he finished, one of his disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. You see this rhythm of life that it seems like no matter where Jesus was, he found time to pray. And I just feel like as believers, as, as followers of Jesus, we spend a lot of time talking about doing but not about praying. Uh, most of the focus is on here's an opportunity to serve. Here's what you can do. Let's go, 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 go. But when do we pull back? When do we retreat? When do we spend time kind of recharging our batteries with our Father? When do we have a rhythm of prayer throughout our life? I, I, I heard one by somebody say this one time and they said Jesus lived life at the speed of walking think about that for a minute we live life at the speed of 60 mile an hour on the interstate right just flying by but think Jesus regularly traveled from Galilee from Capernaum right around the Sea of Galilee down to Jerusalem they would do this multiple times a year for the different Jewish feasts about 80 miles now, driving, it's, you know, hour and a half drive. But walking, it's a much different story. 80 miles is a long ways to go when you have to stop and eat and get water. And, and all of those things take a lot of work. So it typically took almost two weeks to journey. And they did this numerous times. What do you think him and the disciples were doing as they walked? You think they had their AirPods in and, like, listening? No. They're talking. They're doing life together. They're, they're taking time to stop and pray. And, and we see this as a rhythm of life. And so they often traveled into Jerusalem. And when they got to, to Jerusalem, 
Scripture tells us they had a regular place that they would go and withdraw and pray. I showed in the video, uh, let me kind of give you just a little bit of the of background. J Jerusalem is on a hill. Most cities are built on hills so they could build walls around them and defend them. On one side, uh, on the kind of the far side of where from the Mount of Olives would be the Valley of Hinnom. Uh, we know it as uh, Jesus, same Greek word for Gehenna, or even it's translated hell, like the valley, the, 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 the trash dump where everything was always burning and on fire was on one side. The other side uh, was the Kidron Valley. And so you have these valleys and across the Kidron Valley, and then you start going up a hill. And there's a mountain overlooking, it's not a huge mountain, but it's a mountain over, it's tall, you know, higher elevation than Jerusalem looking down, and it's the Mount of Olives. And what the Mount of Olives is, it's an olive grove. It's covered in olive trees. Even today, you'll see olive trees all over the Mount of Olives. And, and so as you, about halfway up the Mount of Olives, there's this grove of olive trees that is the Garden of Gethsemane. And what the, 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 the Gethsemane literally meant an olive press. This is where they would press out the olives to, to, make the, to get the oil out of them, right? So this is the olive grove, the olive press area. And they found evidence of where all of that was. So they know this is the Garden of Gethsemane. And so this was where Jesus and his disciples would go to pray. It's outside of the city walls. It's looking down on the city. You could see everything going on in the city, the people going out and coming in. Um, and so those videos where we're, we're panning around uh, looking at the, the, the temple area, uh, that, would, that was from the Mount of Olives looking down into Jerusalem. And so the Bible gives us three different times the last week of Jesus' life that he visited uh, the Mount of Olives. And so the first time was what we would call kind of the triumphal in, the, the entry as he came into the city. Um, and it said he came in from the area of Bethany and Bethpage, which is on the other side of the mountain. So he kind of came over the mountain and you drop down and you see Jerusalem in front of you. And this is where he comes in. Um, in Luke chapter 19, it tells us that he comes in, he looks at the city in front of him, and he weeps. He weeps over Jerusalem as he enters into the city, knowing what is going to happen to Jerusalem in the future, uh, knowing that it's going to be destroyed. And so this, uh, they've actually built a church there. It's really neat. It's called the Dominus Flevit Church that looks like a teardrop. Uh, on the Mount of Olives, and that's one of the churches there. And it kind of, you can look and think about Jesus weeping over the city there. The second time was what we would call, in, in, in theology, it would be the Olivet Discourse. And so this is Matthew 24 and Mark 13, Luke 21. It's when Jesus uh, is giving the signs of the end of the time. And so he's telling his disciples, so three different times in the last week of Jesus' life, he's here in the Mount of Olives. And then the third time was on the night that he was betrayed. He had the Last Supper. Um, and that's over on Mount Zion, kind of uh, a little bit above the temple area. Uh, and so you would come down from there, and they've got the old Roman road that comes down into the Kidron Valley and then crosses over, and over to the, the Mount of Olives. And so... Now, this is where I want to focus on today. In Luke chapter 22, verse 39, it says, Accompanied by his disciples, Jesus left the upstairs room 
And there's actually a place where we believe that the the upper room was. They built a church, um, later built a 11th, uh, 11th, 12th century um, uh, crusader church there. And the room is still there from the crusader church. So you can go to it today. He left the upstairs room, went as usual to the Mount of Olives. Now underline there as usual. This was not a new, this was showing, this is where Jesus went all the time. And there he told them, pray that you will not give in to temptation. And so what you see, there was a rhythm of life for Jesus that was centered around prayer. He was constantly getting away to pray. They had this amazing Lord's Supper, this the Last Supper, you know, experience in the upper room. And, uh, and now they're like, okay, now it's time to pray. You know, let, let's go. Let's go and pray. And so we see that right here. And that kind of leads me to my next point today. And it's simply this, private prayer prepares us for public ministry. I I feel like we get this wrong sometimes. People, they want to jump right in and do something. They want to jump right in and make a name for themselves. They want to make a difference and make an impact. If you want to, then how you get there is by spending time in prayer. It's not by gaining influence or it's not by... No, the way you, you have an effective ministry, the way you serve God effectively is by preparing yourself privately in prayer. And if we keep going in Luke 22, it says in verse 41 that he walked away about a stone's throw. He knelt down and prayed. And it says, Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yes, I want your will to be done, not mine. And then an angel from heaven appeared and strengthened him, and he prayed more fervently. He he was in such agony of spirit that his sweat fell to the ground like great drops of blood. Do you realize that the first time that Jesus poured out his blood for us was while he was praying? It wasn't on the cross. It was while he was praying for us. And I just want you to think this morning... If Jesus needed time alone to prepare himself for prayer, don't you think we need to? If Jesus needed to pull back, if Jesus needed to get away, if he needed to to, to ask those tough questions of his father and spend time in prayer, why do we think we can go 100 miles an hour and never slow down and pray? Why do we think we can keep going and do everything and be everything? Thing for everyone and, and meet all these expectations and never really slow down. I think it's a problem in our society today. It's a problem in our churches today. It's funny that Paul, he even talks about this. And if you, if you flip over to Colossians 4, he says, devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. He, he says, we've got to devote, prayer has got to be the central part of who we are. He says, uh, pray for us too, that God will give us many opportunities to speak about his mysterious plan concerning Christ. That's why I'm here in chains. Pray that I will also proclaim this message as clearly as I should. Live wisely among those who are not believers. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. But the heart of this is prayer. Prayer is what prepares us to do what God has called us to do. 
And so as long as, as we, put, if, if we switch the order and if we think we serve first and pray after the fact, we're missing the source of our power. And, and so devote yourselves to prayer. Pray that God will give us opportunities. And so I, I, I just would share that, right? I think all of us need that reminder as we enter into this holiday season, slow down. Let's pray first. Let's saturate our life in prayer. Let's get to the point where we're seeking opportunities from our time alone spent in God. God, show me. God, give me opportunities. God, reveal to me. God, use me. But that all comes from our prayer life. And so, um, and it, it, it is private prayer time, right? Matthew 6 and in, in, in the Sermon on the Mount, this is what Jesus teaches his disciples. He says, when you pray... Don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, that is all the reward that they will ever get. But when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you, and pray to your father in private, and then your father who sees everything, that's when he rewards you. We don't pray to, uh, for recognition. We don't pray to, uh, to make a name. For, we pray, we get along with God so we can hear from God. And, I, and I've met so many people, and so many people struggle with this question, God, what do you want me to do with my life? The answer to that question is found in prayer. God, I don't know what decision to make here. I don't know whether to go here or to take this job or to move here or to do this or whatever it is. Those questions are answered when we're on our knees in prayer with God. And so I would even say, why do you think so many leaders fail uh, in, in public ministry today. It's because their public ministry outpaced their private prayer life. Their public ministry, right, got far ahead of their private prayer life. And when that happens, you're in a danger zone. When that happens, you put yourself in an opportunity where you're going to crash and burn. So that's, we've got to be careful, right? And again, our private prayer prepares us for public ministry. As we keep going in this story, though, we see that the disciples, they don't really do what they're supposed to do. They're, they're supposed to be praying. They're supposed to be listening and, and watching and waiting. And instead, what do they do? They fall asleep. They, they really let Jesus down, so to speak. But I, I, that brings me to, to my next point. God won't let us down. And even though other people may let us down, God is never going to let us down. And if we look at Luke 22, it says, At last he stood up again. He returned to the disciples only to find them asleep, exhausted from grief. Why are you sleeping? He asked them, Get up and pray so that you will not give in to temptation. There's another reason we pray is so that we are aware of what the devil is doing all around us. We're aware that we're prepared to stand up and fight against the devil. And, and so he returns to the disciples. He finds them sleeping. The one thing he asked them to do, they could not do. And, and we see here that it's a lesson for us too. Now, I mean, our closest friends and family, they're important to us, but they're not going to replace what only God can do. That's why we have to get alone with God. It's great to get advice, and it's great to, to be mentored. It's great to hear from other people, but don't let that replace what God can speak into your life because only God is the only one who's not going to let you down. The rest of us, myself included, we're broken, fallen people. 
And so we just have to remember that. In the parallel account of this same story in Matthew, we see that Jesus, this was not just a one time he came back to them. He came back to them a second time and they were uh, asleep. He came back to them, it says in verse 44, he went to pray a third time saying the same things again. He came to the disciples and says, finally, go ahead and sleep, have your rest. But look, you're out of time. The time has come. The son of man is betrayed into the hands of sinner. Up, let's be going. Look, my betrayer is here. I mentioned that from the, the Garden of Gethsemane, you could look out and see the Kidron Valley up to the temple. And so if he saw a group of soldiers coming with torches, right, uh, to light their walk at night, you would, know, you would see them coming all the way. This is only probably a half a mile away. And you're looking right down in the valley. He sees Judas and the soldiers coming towards him. And he knows, okay, we've had our time to pray. We've had our time of preparation. But now it's the time uh, to, to do the Father's will. And that's really what Jesus does here. I mean, this, the whole point of the story, he's, Father, take this cup away from me if you can. But I'm going to do whatever you ask me to do. I'm going to submit myself to your will. And I think our prayers sometimes are like that. God, is this really the only way to go? Is this really what you want me to do? And the, the key is, n it, there's not the problem with the question. The, the problem is what we do with that question, right? If God leads us to do something, we've got to be willing to surrender ourselves, to submit and do what God has called us to do. So this kind of leads me into my last question and kind of where we end with today. What's our place of prayer? If, if we're going to be people of prayer, this is our response. How, where and how are we going to do it? We, we all have to find our Eremos place, that solitary place, that, that place where we can get away with God. We all need that regular rhythm of talking and, and listening to God. And, and the Gospels give us 33 different instances where Jesus prayed. His ministry began with prayer. His ministry ended with prayer. He had this, he would pray in the morning. He would pray at night. He would pray all night long. We just see this rhythm of prayer. So let, let's get practical for a minute. Why do you struggle with prayer? Don't tell me it's, I don't have time. Mike, I'm too busy. Don't tell me that. You can't tell me that there's something in your life that is more important than prayer. There is something that you can cut out. There's something that you can rearrange in your schedule. And whether it's the internet or TV or, or whatever it is, there's something that you can pull back and say, I'm going to get my life lined up around what Jesus is asking me to do. I, I need that time with my Father. I need that time to hear from Him, to, uh, to, to, to pray and to, to, to really prepare myself. And so it really comes down to not a lack of time. It really comes down to I don't have a plan. And I don't have the accountability to keep me on that plan. And so if you want to get started in prayer, here, here's what you need to get. Get, get. get this, okay? You don't need to buy anything. You don't need the fancy new prayer, study, guide, scripture, Bible, whatever. You need a time and you need a place. That's it. If you, if you want to pray, you need to, to pick a time and a place, and you need to pray. 
You just need to, to get intentional about spending time with God. And I know the Bible says we pray continuously. We're in that spirit of prayer throughout the day. And, 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 and Lord knows, I, I spend a lot of time just saying, God, I need help on this one, right? As I go through the day, I, I, there's times that we just in that conversation. But when are those times and those places where we're getting away? The solitary, Ramos place. The place where we're saying, God, speak into my life. Now, I do think it's good to have a journal to write down your prayer request because it's so amazing when you go back a month or two later and look at your journal and you see how God has answered those prayers. I'm telling you, it, it really encourages you to see how faithful God is. But we've got to have a time and a place. I've got one more video I want to show you. It was a little crowded at the Garden of Gethsemane that day, so I couldn't really set up my tripod. Um, it was a little strange, but I still want you to see this. So let's... So I'm here in the Garden of Gethsemane, the place where Jesus met with his disciples and prayed to the Father. Uh, there's a tree behind me here that's been dated to the first century. Uh, it's pretty amazing to think that this tree could have been here at, during the time of Jesus. But I want to ask you a question. Are there things in your life that you've gone through that you just, in the middle of them, you didn't know how you were going to get through them? Because Jesus understands that. Jesus understood that. He, he went through it himself. As he waited in the garden and the disciples slept, and this is where Judas brought the soldiers. To, and I think this is a place that Jesus spent frequent time with his disciples because they knew, they knew about this place. And as we look around and uh, look at, at this garden now, um, and there's, it, it's obviously changed and lots of people around today uh, viewing it and, and here, but I just can't help but think about what Jesus was experiencing um, as he was in the garden. As he was in the garden, he was taking the, the wrath, uh, he was praying about the wrath of God that he went to the cross on our behalf for. Uh, he died on the cross to take our sin, our shame upon himself. And so, uh, just when I think about that, think about everything that he went through, it amazes me just demonstrates his love for us. I want you to think about that. So there's the Garden of Gethsemane. And it, it's kind of crazy because um, you see all those trees and it's like a little garden. It's a big church right beside of it. Uh, graveyards are cover the whole Mount of Olives now. It's all... Uh, tombs and grave graveyards now and, and just so you know if you want to be buried on the Mount of Olives it's about three hundred thousand dollars is right now the going rate for a, a burial plot so just so you know it just um, um, it, it's kind of an interesting place and there's cars and buses and vendors trying to sell you stuff everywhere I mean it, it's a it's unique but in the middle of all that you've got this solitary place just to remind you this is what it used to be like. This is what it was like when Jesus was here. And so I read this this week and I couldn't agree more. It says the greatest and most beautiful thing about Gethsemane isn't that we can relate to it. It's that we'll never have to. 
It's that it's like nothing we will ever, ever experience because only the Savior of the world could. Jesus went through what we couldn't go through. He took upon himself what we were unable to do. He lived the life that we couldn't live. And then he took the punishment that we deserve. That's grace. That's the gospel. And so it just this, this, all of this just keeps pointing us back to God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That's why Jesus came. And the Garden of Gethsemane is just another way that he demonstrated that. So today, I, I just want to encourage you. Do you know this Jesus that we're talking about? Jesus ascended back into heaven on the Mount of Olives. Guess where he's coming back again? Zechariah, and Zechariah tells us that he's coming back on the Mount of Olives. So this is, this is an important place. This is a special place. But I'm telling you today that... that we, he, he did for us what we could not do for ourselves. And, and so today, I just want to, to ask you, do you know this Jesus? Have you given your life to him? And if you, if you have, then let's get to know him through prayer. Let's spend time every day. Let's spend time as we go throughout the day. Let's have a rhythm of life that, that, that is centered around talking with our heavenly father. And so let me encourage you to do that. Let's pray today as we close. Heavenly Father, today as, as we kind of kick off this whole season of giving at church and all these things that we can do and all these places we could go and all these ways we can volunteer and all these things we can give, Lord, help us to pull back and remember that we've got to get alone with you. If we want to have a public ministry, we've got to have a time... Uh, that's really, we've got to have this private prayer that prepares us. Heavenly Father, I'm so thankful for Jesus and for what he did for us. And so today, my prayer is just that everybody listening here and online, everybody listening would be able to confidently say, Jesus, you are my Lord and my Savior. I'm going to walk as you walked. Lord, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace. We thank you that you did for us what we could never do for ourselves, that you took our sin and our shame upon you. Lord, we thank you for that. And today as we close, may we really just think about how we can create that time and a place to spend with you in prayer. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.